This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. Here's your host, Drew Dalby. My name is Candace Konitsky, and I co-host the morning show at Indy 88 in Toronto. Uh, it's Toronto's newest radio station in 30 years, so that was a pretty incredible place to be when it happened. That's some, that's some interesting ground to break. Yeah, well, in Toronto, um, the reason why there isn't uh, or hasn't been a new radio station in 30 years is because there's no room on the dial. Like, there is actually <laughs> no room on the dial. Every two ticks, there's a radio station. So how did you... Okay, you know what? No, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm ruining my own show. We're going to get there. <laughs> I'm ruining your show. I started talking about Toronto first. <laughs> I want to go back to the beginning. When did you get it in your head that you wanted to be in radio? So I was uh, in grade 10. I had an English teacher who uh, I used to, he hated reading short stories aloud in class. Like, he just didn't like reading out loud. And nobody in my class liked reading out loud, but I loved it. So I would read out loud some of our short stories, and then eventually it just got to the point where he would get me to do all of the uh, out loud reading. And one day he just pulled me aside and said, like, have you ever thought about a career in broadcasting? You have uh, a really nice read, and I think it's something that you should consider. And at the time, I hadn't even considered broadcasting. Like, I don't even think I knew radio was a career. Like, I just thought famous people did radio. I didn't know that it was something I could do as a job. So uh, after that, though, it was like the only thing that I ever wanted to do. And I actually had an opportunity uh, last year to track down said teacher and give him a call and see if he remembered me and thank him because he changed the direction of my life just by pulling me aside that one day, because after that, it was like, radio, that's it. That's all I'm ever going to do. And, you know, what, 15 years later, it is all I'm doing. So If it hadn't been for his crippling fear of reading aloud to his own classroom. <laughs> Mr. Lyons, grade 10 English at Mount Royal Collegiate in Saskatoon. <laughs> so where did you end up going to, did you go to a radio school? I did. I went to, you've probably heard of it, Western Academy Broadcasting College. W-A-B-C. That's the one, W-A-B-C. It's where I, I learned rise and fall and just uh, and all kinds of things not to do in radio I learned <laughs> once I left. Uh, yeah, so I went to W-A-B-C, and, uh, you know, I actually talk pretty highly of the class because we had on-air experience every single day, and a lot of colleges are like two years or three years or four years, and you're not even doing shows until your third year or your second year. And with WABC, you were on the air like every single day and you were getting critiqued every single day. And that's very much what I found radio to be like once I actually got into it. You would just do your show and then you would listen to your show and you would figure out how you can do your show better. So I went to WABC and then um, the first day he told me, uh, if you want to get a job in Saskatoon, I'm telling you right now you're going to have to move. And he also said, you're not going to make any money. Both of which on your very first day of school, you're like, he's just saying that. That's not true. <laughs> It's totally true. Got my first job in the Paw, Manitoba. Have you heard of it? I, I am aware of its existence only because I'm in Regina. Oh, perfect. Well, I wasn't even aware of it growing <laughs> up in Saskatoon, but uh, it's northern Manitoba. It's a town of about 10,000 people, and it's on this like same stretch as Flin Flon, Manitoba, which is a little more popular than the Paw, and Thompson, Manitoba. That's where you can see polar bears. Ooh. Yeah, very exciting. So I moved to the Paw, Manitoba, and um, at 19 years old, it was like a complete life change. I had lived in Saskatoon my whole life, and now I'm in this small city with only 10,000 people, and I had my first radio gig, and I was super happy about that that. Um, but when you're in radio, you're not making any money. It's true. Like, I think I had a part-time job up until, I want to say like 2007, 2008, I probably had a part-time job along with doing radio full-time. 
So while I was in the Palm Manitoba, I got a job DJing at a bar on the weekends. And along with that, I had to DJ for strippers uh, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Please tell me you've got a over-the-top stripper DJ voice. Oh, my God. No. See, this is the thing. I Growing up in Saskatchewan, they have this rule that you can't have, like, strippers in the same place that alcohol is being served. Yes. So there are, like, no strip clubs in Saskatoon. So I had never seen a stripper before. My very first shift having to introduce a stripper at a bar in Manitoba after I set up the stripper poles. It was a very surreal experience. Like, I didn't even think I was supposed to look at the at the girls. Like, I didn't know what that meant. Like... Should I look down? Should I look away? I, I had no idea like what to expect from it. So I literally, on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturday nights, about five times a night would have to be like, the girl would come down and she'd bring me her CD with her four songs, and like Creed with Arms Wide Open was really popular back then, and Fuck Harry Lit Up was another good one. Uh, ACDC, Highway to Hell. Uh, so the girls would bring me their songs, and I would have to, all right, you guys, give it up for, uh, there was one called The Lady with the Chair. <laughs> yeah, she danced with the chair. Well, I would hope so. Yeah, no, but she did some weird things with the chair. Oh, boy. It was a surreal experience. And then uh, the song would end, and then in between songs, they'd be like, oh, once again, give it up for so-and-so. And I actually had one stripper uh, come up and offer to pay my way to go to Australia. And she's like, you could totally do topless. I'll pay your way just to get you started. And I was like, I'm going to stick with the radio career, but thanks. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's got to be a good boost to the old self-esteem, though. Yeah, sure. I, I didn't know if I was flattered or, or embarrassed or scared or... You know, I was only 19. I was like, maybe I should take her up on this offer. She's making a lot more money than I am in radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Palm Manitoba was definitely a learning experience. It's also freezing there. Like, if you think it's cold in Saskatchewan, in Manitoba for six months out of the year, it's like minus 60 with the wind chill and snow up to your knees. Like, it just doesn't go away. So you obviously were comfortable speaking to people with your background in reading in English class and, and that sort of thing. You'd gone to radio school once you got to the PAW, what was your shift there? I did middays, and I was also doing news in the, in the small town. Originally, I wanted to be a TV newscaster. That was, the, that was the ultimate goal. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I don't even care that I have to do this midday show. I'm going like, to be on the news one day, so I'm just going to focus all my energy on news. And then as it turned out, about a year or two in, I was like, man, doing this midday show is way more fun than going to school board meetings. Why do I want to do news? <laughs> do you remember your first break at the PAW when you like your first midday, you got to crack the mic open? I did. And I totally freezed up in the middle of a sentence and just hit a cart for the next commercial. <laughs> I, I can't remember what I said or what the content of the break was, but I, it was probably something like, hi, my name is Ken My name is Condis, because I had a bit of a Saskatchewan accent then. My name is Condis Kanitsky, and I'm your new midday host on CJ12. Boom, commercial. Like, I just stopped talking. I had no idea what to say next. It was so surreal. How long did it take before you started to feel comfortable? Do you started to feel like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm good at this. Oh, man. You know what? It takes a lot longer than you think, I think. Like, I, I don't know that I felt really comfortable doing a show by myself for the whole time that I was in Manitoba. For the last three months or so, they moved me to the morning show, and then I had a male co-host. And I found that a lot easier, like talking to somebody as opposed to talking to nobody. Um, but then I guess the first time that I felt really comfortable behind the mic by myself doing my own show was probably when I moved to North Battleford, Saskatchewan uh, for an afternoon drive job. 
Um, and that was when I like, I felt like I'd kind of hit my, hit my stride, I guess. And a lot of people will say like, you, you eventually, flow is not something you can learn. You just, you get the flow eventually, you find your flow eventually. And I think I found my flow finally when I was in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. I mean, I did afternoon drive there for three years though. So eventually you're going to get super comfortable with that. And that North Battleford, that was, you were launching a new station there. I've launched three stations in my career. It's been pretty incredible. Um, yeah, in North Battleford, it was Q98, um, and it was the first pop rock station in the, another small town. In, this one in Saskatchewan is 10,000 people as well. And all they had was a country station, an AM country station for years. So it was really exciting to be, and I was the very first DJ to crack the mic, which was also really fun. And um, I found what I loved about small towns was how everybody embraced the radio station and the DJs that were on the air. Like they were really fans of the station and it was a lot, it's obviously a lot less competitive because you don't really have any options when you're in a smaller town like you do in a bigger city uh, but yeah I absolutely love living in uh, North Battleford and doing afternoon drive I learned a lot while I was there uh, don't get me wrong the whole time I was in Manitoba and in Saskatchewan I was sending out demo CDs like every three months trying to find a better job but uh to learn what I needed to learn, I think that those were two really great stepping stones. Kids in radio today will never understand the cost of trying to send out your demo back when you actually had to put a CD in the mail. Oh, man. And, like, I don't know if you were at all like me, but I would, like, try to come up with creative ways to get their attention with the CD. So I'd, like, slap a sticker on my face on the front or I'd slap a sticker on my face with their logo or I'd do that super annoying thing where you put, like, sparkles in the envelope. <laughs> Glitter bomb. <laughs> Really like that. Um, no, but I, I remember there was um, a, a program director I ended up working for, Christian Hall. Um, my very first job in the Palm Manitoba, I remember sending him a CD demo uh, when he was at Power 97 in Winnipeg. I never heard back. I didn't get any feedback from said demo. But I kept sending him demos because I loved listening to Power 97. I thought it was like the greatest rock station ever. So I would say every three months for probably the first four or five years of my career, I sent out demos every three to six months to the same program directors provided they were still at the same stations. Same thing happened when I went to North Battleford. I was still sending Christian Hall demos. Um, at this point, though, he'd moved to Q107 Calgary, and I was like, I don't care. I'm still sending this guy demos, even though he's never replied to my, my letters because it wasn't emails back then or MP3s. I'm going to keep sending this guy my demos. And then out of nowhere, uh, when I was in North Battleford, I got a phone call that the swing, like overnight and weekend mornings, was available at Q107 Calgary. And it was Christian. He's like, yeah, he's like, I've been listening to your demos all these years, like four or five years of me sending him demos. Like, I've been listening. He's like, I got a position here in Calgary if you want it. And I was like, this is amazing. You were listening to my demos? Like, <laughs> you don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you kind of, even now with MP3s and emails, sometimes you, you send these things off to program directors you respect or stations you like or whatever, and, and you don't always get a response back because you have to understand that you're one of like a thousand people doing the same thing. So when somebody comes through and is like, oh yeah, no, I've, I've been listening this whole time. Like, I like your improvement. I like this. I like that. You, you almost have like a little moment, like you just need to catch your emotions. Exactly. It was it, And it was surreal that he like knew who I was and knew... Uh, like my bits and like knew and could recall some things that I had done on air because I thought this guy had no idea who I was. And then he was calling me for a job and it was, it was just, it was only $50 a shift and he could only promise me four shifts a week. So I'd be moving to Calgary from tiny North Battleford, Saskatchewan for what, $200 a month. <laughs> 
And I was like, I'll take it. If you'll hire me, I'll take it. I need to get out of this market and, and move on to bigger and better things. So I ended up moving to Calgary, and I didn't know anything about classic rock, like nothing. I, the only classic rock I listened to growing up in Saskatchewan was like Kim Mitchell and Tom Cochran and Blue Rodeo. And that Blue Rodeo, I wouldn't even say was classic rock back then. So you get this call, you accept the job, obviously you move down to Calgary, and now you're in a major market. Did it occur to you at all, like that first swing shift, there's probably about a thousand times more people listening to me right now than there was in all of North Battleford? Yeah, absolutely. The I, I guess the amount of people listening is kind of overwhelming, and, and how quickly the phones start ringing compared to when I was in a smaller city, uh, especially when you make a mistake. I learned this early <laughs> on. Uh, George Harrison had already passed away, and I went on and did a break about the Beatles, who I was not very familiar with, and said that George Harrison was still alive, and I, the phone's supposed to ring for an hour. People calling to give me trouble for it, and I was like, oh, it's my first shift in Calgary. I'm going to get fired. I don't know what I'm doing. It is amazing. Like, people, like you said, it makes sense that people would call immediately, like, oh, she doesn't know. Someone needs to tell her, or, oh, this idiot just said he's alive, and he's, he's been dead for a while. But an hour later... People who, who didn't get through right away are like, no, this my life right now revolves around letting this girl know that she made a mistake. She needs to know. I'm going to be the one to tell her. <laughs> oh, I remember being so afraid to go into Christian's office for my very first air check. And I walked in and he was like, heard the door. And, and I don't know how well you know Christian Hall, but he's like, he's pretty sarcastic. Like he's a... Uh, when he's, like, giving you shit, it's actually, like, a compliment, <laughs> kind of. Like, if he's giving you a hard time, that's kind of a good thing. So he was just like, yeah, I heard that Harrison break, you're fired. And I was like, what? He was like, no. He's like, it's fine, no big deal. It was your first shift. He's like, there was a lot of other things you did in there that were really great. And he's like, just make sure you do a little more research before you crack the mic. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know. Like, almost thought I got fired my first day, but it was fine. Yeah, I know Christian well enough to know that walking into his office is amongst the scariest things in the world. I worked for him later, too, at X92.9 in Calgary for, like, five years. And I probably got, uh, quote-unquote, fired, like, half a dozen times for doing something on the air uh, <laughs> that he uh, didn't like or, or just didn't think was quite right. I remember when I got to Calgary, too, um, like, realizing that I was working for, like, a major market radio station because I arrived and I didn't have anywhere to live. And they were like, we'll set you up with a place for two weeks. And I was like, what? You're going to set me up with a place for two weeks? Okay, cool. And it was a beautiful condo overlooking the river and they gave me all of this like q107 swag my first day and i was just like this is incredible i've hit the big time like i was just so amazed at, and even the talent in calgary it just like blew my mind that i was only doing overnights and weekend mornings but like i was just so happy to be there it didn't matter that i was uh i was still working my way up i was meeting people that i, I wanted to meet and i was networking with people i thought i needed to network with and and it was a really great experience. I only stayed for six months, though, before I got offered a morning show gig in Red Deer, which is, going back to small towns, about 75,000 people at that time. I figured getting morning show experience was probably, uh, might be more valuable because that was something I wanted to do down the road than, you know, sticking it out, doing overnights and weekends. Plus, it was a full-time gig. Um, and I, I talked to Christian before I even considered the job, and he was like, oh, God, no, this is a great move. He's like, you got a phone call about mornings? He's like, yeah, you should definitely go. He's like, don't worry about me. We'll keep in touch. And he's like, I always keep in touch with talent that I really like. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll work again together. But, yeah, you should definitely take this opportunity. So I was like, all right, let's do this. Off we go. Moving again to Red Deer for a couple of years. 
I just feel like, because uh, we have a lot of people that listen to the show that are in radio school or just fresh out of radio school, I, I really need to hammer home the fact that that doesn't happen anymore. The whole, we'll set you up with a place and we'll no. stock your closet full of clothes. and Like, that is not a thing now. No, it was uh, that one time, I don't know, what would that have been? Maybe 2003, 2004? And I was just a swing jock and they gave me stuff. Uh, but when I moved to Toronto, there was none of that. When yeah. I moved to Red Deer, there, I mean, they gave me some office-like, you know, big 105 swag, but they certainly didn't uh, pimp me out in some really nice, uh, beautiful home or anything like that. I actually find... Out of the kids that were in my class, most of them aren't even in radio anymore. A lot of them actually gave up um, probably around the time I would say that I was in North Battleford or I was like after maybe I would say three to five years of like trying it out in the smaller market. A lot of kids in my class all just gave up on radio because they were like, I don't see a future in this. Like, I don't see myself making even like even a remotely good salary, which is really sad to say. Um, I think that outside of small markets that then like and the major markets do pay better but it's still radio i mean it's going to be if you think you're going to be a superstar celebrity and you're going to make six figures think again like you've got a good 20 years of work ahead of you before you're even in that ball game yeah i i think we had 12 kids in our radio class i went to nate 12 kids we made it out with 11 and now there's three of us and that's it I don't even know if there's any left from my class. Well, my class only has seven people. In it, so yeah. mm, Saskatchewan. <laughs> W-A-B-C. I, I, you know, I, I make fun of the, the call letters a little bit, but I do have to give Don Scott credit because even on this show alone, the number of W-A-B-C grads that we've had on this podcast, he's doing something right. Yeah, here's something that all students should know. Anybody that wants to be in radio it's not, I don't think it's about what school you go to so much as it's about what you learn on the job, getting that on the job experience. And the beautiful thing about WABC is it's only a six month course. It's absolutely affordable. You get some on air experience right away. Either you have talent or you don't. Like you can't be taught talent. You're either going to have it in broadcasting school and you'll have that for the rest of your career, or you just don't have it at all. Like I don't think being a radio DJ is something that can be learned. I think that's something, uh, it's like being a comedian. You have to be naturally funny in order to make that a career. So for me, Don Scott School of Broadcasting was great because it was only six months. It was affordable. I was a poor kid. I didn't have any money. I didn't want to be paying back student loans forever. I got my first job. And then from there, it's all on you. Like, you can't rest on your school anymore. Once you get your first job, you've got to keep applying. You've got to keep networking. You've got to move as much as you can and get as much experience in different markets and at different radio stations as you can. And you should really try to make yourself the most diverse uh, individual at a radio station that you can, whether it's doing music uh, as well or programming as well, or even creative writing on top of being a DJ, like all of these things are just going to help you down the road. I'm going to take that whole last clip and I'm going to send it to Don. And if he doesn't send you a check for the endorsement, <laughs> then I don't know what's going on. No, it was great. Every single day <laughs> we were on the air. It was fantastic. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be sitting in a classroom learning. I wanted to be on the radio. And my first day of school, I was on the radio. It was amazing. Back to Red Deer. So you said you'd done some mornings in the other markets that you'd been in before, but this was your first full-time, big-time morning show. How did it feel going in there for the, the, those first few shows? It was really exciting. You know, I, like, I was so pumped to start a morning show, and I was, I was really excited to have that be the next part of my career, being a morning show co-host or being a morning show host. And so, you know, you have meetings. Nobody... 
if you've never done a morning show, it's very difficult. A lot of people think it's really easy because you've got like one or two other people that you can kind of lean on and whatever. It's not that at all. Like being on a morning show is very much like being in a relationship. I, you, I would argue that you see your co-host probably more than you see your husband or your wife or your partner. Um, and this was the case. So I went into it with like an open mind. I was like, and the, the guy's name was Pete. I was like, me and Pete, we're going to be best friends. Like he was obviously hired before I was. And then I was brought in as his co-host and it was the Pete Montana show and all that. And I was like, I'm fine with that. I knew my place. I was just getting started in, in morning show radio. And I was like, I'm just here to learn and learn as much as I can. And so it was really exciting, you know, and to try, it's exciting and terrifying to put yourself out there to become somebody's friend immediately uh, when you're going to have to work together in that kind of environment. Sadly, with Pete, it didn't end up working out. It got, uh, it got. I mean, he's not even in radio anymore, so I don't feel like I'm kind of bashing him. But he was, and you'll find a few of these in the radio industry, ladies. Um, there's a lot. There are a lot of misogynists out there that work in this industry and uh and this gentleman who i was doing the morning show with was one of them and he really wanted to put me in my place and i found out quickly that he was just looking for a girl that would laugh at his jokes and that's really all he was looking for and um and i was like a strong individual i was like no i've got stuff to say and i have things to contribute and i have things that i think should be on this morning show and so i would fight back and i just didn't sit and take it, and I didn't sit and do what I was told, which was to laugh or laugh at his jokes or, or tell him jokes and whatever. And um, it got to a point where he, I kind of enjoy telling the story now because if I ever ran into him again, I'd be like, look at this, I'm making it. Worked my ass off, but I'm making it. Uh, he pulled me in, like, in front of everybody in the office. He was like, for somebody with four years' experience in broadcasting, you sure don't act like it. You're an amateur. You're an amateur. You're never going to make it in this business. And I was just like, whoa heart crushed. Is my career over because this one guy doesn't like me? I didn't know what to do with that. A swing came open at uh, the radio station I was working at, uh, evenings, like, or yeah, evenings and weekends. So I just went into my boss's office and I was like, uh, it's obvious that this co-hosting thing isn't working with Pete and I. And, um, you know, if you're not interested in changing the morning show, then I would just be interested in getting my own show back because I don't think I'm learning anything new here. I think if anything, it's like setting me back a bit. And, uh, and he agreed to, to give me the swing position, and then they tried looking for a new co-host for the morning show guy. Um, he couldn't find anybody that he liked, surprising, and eventually he left, and then a new guy came in, uh, and his name was Brian Bailey, who I was just working with recently here at Indy 88, and uh, he was a young guy, like, I think we were both in our mid-20s, and it was our our second chance, I guess, at a first morning show. And, uh, and it worked out really well from then on because we were on equal, uh, we, it was an equal playing field. We both wanted to contribute to the show and we were 50-50 contributors to shed, said show, whereas with the previous show, I was really just hired to, to laugh at jokes, which sucked. Well, anybody who works in radio probably listens to at least some radio. And you, there are those shows that still exist where it's, you know, strong personality and then somebody who is, like not not even there enough to be considered a sidekick. Like it's literally a laugh track, and it's so awkward to listen to. And everybody has something that they can contribute to a morning show. Like every person at the station, everybody that walks in and out of that room. It's just a matter if you're a really good leader, you're going to find that stuff out about those people, and you're going to use that to make your show better. You're going to pull that good stuff out of people, and you're not going to go in with an idea and like you're not willing to change at all for that. You know, you're not going to unless you're willing to change. Um, what am I trying to say? How do I say this? 
So if you're a leader, you need to pull good things out of people. You have to use the people around you. But if you're going and thinking you're a one-man show and you just want a co-host to laugh at your joke or you just want a sidekick, then you need to make that clear because that's fine. There are people that want to do that role. I just wasn't one of them, and that's not what I was told going into this job, that I was going to be um, somebody that had to laugh at jokes. I was told I was a 50-50 contributor, and as soon as I got in there, it was like pretty obvious that I wasn't. So I fought back, and then... It ended up being the end of that show, but it, like, led to better things. And then having a 50-50 show was, was fantastic and, and doing it all over again and starting fresh. So I would, I would call Big 105 with Brian. Uh, we called it the morning buzz. Uh, that would have been, my, like, my first morning show experience because that really was, like, give and take and pull from each other and become really good friends on the show. Well, and it goes to show that if you're in a situation, people are so scared of our jobs. You read all the time about this company cut people and this company cut people and everybody will tell you, oh, radio's cutthroat. If you screw up, they'll throw you out of the building. And some of that is true. Some of that is hype. But it goes to show that if you're in a bad spot, usually cooler heads can prevail. You know, if your program director likes you and you're making the effort that you can find some other way to go about things and for you to volunteer to move down a, a day part and for them to go, okay, yeah, let's, we want to keep you in the building. This obviously isn't working out. And then, you know, remembering that you made that effort when it came time to, to, to put together a new morning show, it, it shows that there is hope out there if you do want to stand up for yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, radio is not going to be handed to you. Um, it's very rare, I think, that you even get poached for jobs anymore unless you're on a really big major market um, morning show or like a major market show. Uh, you really just have to build up connections and start networking in order to get where you need to go. Um, and networking, I think, is like really where it's at. If, if you love radio as much as I do or if you love your job as much as, you know, you should, then you're happy to make these connections and you're happy to meet these new people because they're all going to teach you new things and they're going to take you as a performer and as a talent to a new level. Um, even with Christian Hall, when I left Q107 Calgary for the Red Deer job, I kept in touch with him for the full two years. And then sure enough, when he was launching a new station in Calgary, a freaking awesome station in Calgary that I was so excited to hopefully get a job at because it was a rock station. And I was like, I want to do rock. I'm so sick of pop music. And I can't wait to take on this new challenge. Uh, he gave me a call. The jobs were opening. And Christian Hall called and said, hey, you've probably heard. I'm the new program director of this brand new station in Calgary, X929. Why haven't you applied yet? Are you going to apply? Um, so I applied for a bunch of day parts, and uh, none of them had worked out. And then morning news and co-host came available. And at the time, I wasn't doing news. I was just a morning co-host, and I hadn't done news in like five years. So I didn't even apply for that specific job. I had applied for every other job, but I didn't apply for morning news co-host. And Christian calls, and he's like, why haven't you applied for morning news co-host? I was like, I don't do news, or I've never done news. I, I, like, I just didn't think that I would get hired for that position. He's like, no, I need somebody that's a co-host and a news person. He's like, we'll teach you news. He's like, send me a demo, put something together, and we'll kind of go from there. So I was like, okay, sure, let's do this. And sure enough, I put some stuff together. Christian and I talked again, and he was like, great, I want you to do it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to learn how to do news, which was <laughs> a whole nother. Like, I remember, oh, my God, one of my first newscasts at X929, I didn't even say alleged, which is a very important word when you're Oh, <laughs> yep. Like, I, I, it was like, hypothetically, let's say, uh, so-and-so murdered so-and-so instead of saying so-and-so allegedly murdered so-and-so. The trial continues today. So I had a lot to learn when it came to news. But, uh, but news is now something that I actually really enjoy doing, and it became 
it, it kind of came full circle because in the beginning I thought I was going to be a newscaster and then I got away from it. And then at X929 and now at Indy 88, I'm doing news again uh, along with co-hosting. And uh, it's a magical little world. I really like it. When you got the call from Christian, obviously you were excited to go back and work with him, but was there any, you just started to build a rapport with, uh, with Brian in, in Red Deer. You said that that show was going really well. You were 50-50 partners. You, you liked the, the vibe there. You just left Q107 to go to Red Deer and, and sort of fell into the bad co-host trap that some people fall into in this business. Were you at all nervous to leave Brian and, and go in, or did you kind of have the faith in Christian that he wasn't going to put you in a bad situation? Uh, a little bit of both. I was afraid to leave the morning show that was working so well, but I had applied with Brian like as a team, and Christian wasn't interested in bringing us both as a team, so it was either me or it was nobody, it, it couldn't be both. So w- when it came to decision time, one, I trusted Christian, and I knew that he, I was pretty confident he wasn't going to put me in a, in a tough place. And secondly, staying in Red Deer and doing a morning show with Brian at that time was only going to take me so far, and I knew that I had worked for Christian before. Um, he changed my life. He changed you know, uh, radio for me, and um, he, he truly believed in me, which was another thing. Uh, that I really appreciated, and I considered him a friend. So why wouldn't I take that chance, move to a bigger market, launch a brand-new radio station with a program director who I already love and admire and just trust that, you know, hopefully it's going to work out. And, of course, over the five years that I worked at X929, it wasn't perfect. There were a couple years there, and I think this happens with any morning show or in any uh, situation where you're working so closely with one or two other people, you're going to have fights, and you're going to need, I call it, morning show therapy. Every morning show I've been on, you have to have morning show therapy. (laughs) It's the only way you're going to get through it. But uh, in the beginning, X929 was absolutely amazing. Like that first year launching this new station with like people, and for me, this was the perfect demo because it was like my demo. It was my age. I think we were all like mid to late 20s, and we were all, a lot of us had just moved to Calgary. We all loved the music. We all loved each other. We were all new to Calgary, so we would go out with each other every weekend, and it was a really magical experience uh, that first couple of years at X929. And then, of course, everybody starts to get their own friends, and everyone gets settled in Calgary, and, and maybe you hang out a little bit less. But uh, overall, um, I... I think one of my best experiences in radio was probably that first year with X929 because it really felt like we were this little tiny family that was like launching a new radio station in this city. And it was my first major market gig. And it was like, I, it was surreal to me that I'd even got the job, to be honest. I, like, I don't know. I knew I was working hard and I knew I was uh, trying and I, and I knew I had some talent. But um, once I started doing mornings, I was like, holy crap, am I in over my head? Like, am I good enough for this? I don't know. Like, what do I do? And luckily, I had two co-hosts who had plenty of experience and they knew how to pull the good stuff out of me. And like, I learned so much from Fraser and Roger over that five years, um, stuff that I'll, I'll, like, I'll take with me forever when it comes to doing a morning show and working with other people and knowing your role is really important as well. So... X929 was a magical place for me, and I was super sad to leave. Like, tears on air, I cried on air, Roger cried on air, Fraser had to leave the room. I don't know if you've ever met Fraser Tough, but he is, in fact, tough. He's, like, big, burly, tough guy, and he, like, wouldn't cry in front of us, but he had to, like, leave the room. And I think Christian had tears in his eyes, and, and it, was, uh, it was heartbreaking to leave X929, but I knew that in order to continue with the career that I had chosen, that it was time for me to leave and find something else. Now, you guys obviously did some things right over your span there with you and Fraser and Roger, because 
X929 has had some great morning shows since, but the people still talk about those old days. You go on the X929 Facebook page, and it's hard to get through a day without someone comparing the current morning show to what you guys were doing back in the day. Is there anything that you guys did that, that stands out that you still remember to this day, whether it was bits or segments or anything like that? I feel like we were one of the first um, radio stations and one of the first morning shows that were like the anti-radio station and the anti-morning show. There was, um, there was nothing like Waka Waka. You know, we had a lot of real conversations. And, and I remember when we first launched, I was like, why are we talking about all this serious stuff? Like, this is no fun. The listener's not enjoying this. And I learned later that it, like what we were talking about was reflecting what our audience was talking about. So that's why we were talking about it. So... I think the beauty, I don't know that any of us knew exactly what we were doing when we started. It just, we just started talking about stuff that mattered to us and stuff that was happening to us. And we talked about it in a way that related to the audience. And it was really magical. And it was really beautiful to, um, to dig deep, almost like talk radio at times. And, and for us to get into heated arguments on the air. And I think our listeners really appreciated that we weren't full of shit. You know, we weren't like radio DJs trying to sell them something. We were just like them. We were just real people who had real concerns and real complaints and, and we had real fun and we loved great music. And, and I think that that just came through. Also, the chemistry that Fraser Roger and I had is something that I don't know that I'm ever going to get that back. I, I mean, I have chemistry, obviously, with my current co-host, but there was something really magical. Um, and I think that it's because it was like our first morning show, like all three of us, it was our first big break, mine and Fraser's and Roger's. And um, so for all three of us to be in that together and like all three of us to be so passionate about moving forward and, and you know, I guess just making a splash in Calgary, it was, uh, it was really magical. And like they were hard on me, like super hard on me, but I learned so much because of it. And they were hard on me because they knew I could handle it and they knew that I could be better than I was. And um, like Roger in particular, I remember when I left, I was like crying and I'm like, I know you're so hard on me about the news, but if it wasn't for Roger, I don't think I'd know how to write news right now because he helped me out so much. And, and I used to be so upset with him because it's like every time I cracked the mic, he would have some sort of a critique. And But he loved me. And like, honestly, that's it sounds maybe a bit cliche or a bit ridiculous. I don't know. But I love Fraser and Roger. Like we loved each other. We were that close. And, um, and I think that that is why the show is so memorable because we did have that chemistry. And I think that the listeners were able to hear that. When you talk about your time at X92.9, like there is just, there's a perk in your voice. Not that you've been down the rest of the show, but you get even more upbeat when you, when you look back and you talk about that time. So it begs the question, why the hell did you leave? Great question. And a, a lot of people, I believe Christian Fraser and Roger in particular, uh, as much as they supported my decision to leave, they, uh, they definitely didn't fully understand it. So um, when, while I was in Calgary, so just a little backstory. I was always one track mind. I'm going to do radio. I'm going to do radio. I'm going to keep moving. I would never settle down with a guy. I didn't have a boyfriend for most of my radio career because I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this city for. I don't want to get settled down. I don't want anybody holding me back. I can't have a relationship. While I was in Calgary, I met who is now my husband. Um, I met this guy. I think it was the second or third year that we were on air. And uh, he and I were dating right up until the end. And um, he's a, a musician. And uh, 
I was going to say struggling musician, but he's actually doing quite well now, and I don't want him to be upset if I... He was struggling musician when I met him, let's say that. <laughs> a struggling musician in Calgary when I met him, and uh, and yeah, we, we just hit it off, and, um, and I was crazy in love, and I was head over heels, and he said that for his music career, the next step for him was to move to Toronto and uh, to give it a go here, and I appreciated that because I was the same way before I met him. I was like, oh, nobody's holding me back. I'm going to go where I need to go, and so there was some talk about him going, you know, without me and us trying to figure it out that way. Let's try the long distance thing or, you know, maybe I try to get a job in Toronto. And it probably took about two years from the day we had the initial conversation for me to actually get a job in Toronto. And um, we had discussed it and... Uh, I realized that it's super hard to get a job here. You need to know somebody. So I would apply for every single on-air gig that came open in Toronto, and it would always go to somebody who was already in the market. Like, it was just like DJs were just swapping radio stations. And I understand it now because once you get to Toronto, nobody leaves Toronto. So... One, very few jobs open up here, and when they do, it's so competitive that each radio station is just, like, picking each other off from different radio stations and swapping jocks. So I was like, how am I going to get in this market? Because uh, just applying for on-air gigs isn't doing it. So... I had sent out demos, obviously, and I had made connections with a few program directors, and I'd come out here a couple times to meet some of those program directors, and one of those PDs was Blair Bartram, who is the PD at Q107 Toronto. And uh, he was amazing, and just like the nicest guy. If you want to learn how to be the greatest, most kind, most um, interesting manager, uh, you could, everybody could take a lesson from Blair Bartram. Like, he's amazing. So... He loved my demo, like really excited, really enthusiastic. He's like, I don't have anything on air for you right now, but I love your demo, and let's keep in touch, and we'll keep talking. And so uh, we kept in touch, and about, I'd say maybe a year and a half after I started looking for a job, he called and said that he had, um, he's like, well, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I got a gig, not an on-air gig, but it's yours if you want it. I need a producer for the Kim Mitchell show. He's like, and hopefully organically it might turn into a bit of a co-hosting thing. He's like, but I can't promise that, but I can promise you it would be a full-time gig and you'd be in the market and then it might be a bit easier. He's like, we're you know a big company. There's us and there's the edge and there's hopefully room for you to move up within the company once you get here. And so I was like, you know, after trying and trying and trying to get in the market, I kind of was like, well, this is my chance. This is my chance to get in the market. Even if I have to take a step back from on air, this is my shot to get into Toronto. Um, and, I, and I thought Blair Bartram was amazing, and I knew that he was looking out for my best interest. And I knew that if something opened up on air, that he would, I would be, you know, considered for it. So I thought, what the hell? It's time to move on. You know, why don't we give this a shot? So we moved to Toronto, and I moved for a producing gig. And for the first year, I hated it here. My husband, uh, who was just my boyfriend at the time, he wasn't, music wasn't going very well. He went from being kind of a big fish in a small pond to being a small fish in a big pond. And the exact same thing happened to me. And um, the way people still talk about um, the show on X92.9, imagine that, like, first year that you're gone and you're, like, looking at Facebook pages or you're, like, I used to listen to the show and, like, my name would still come up. And I, when I went home to visit, I even, like, co-hosted the show a couple times. And it was really, really hard to accept that I had given up this amazing on-air gig and moved to Toronto for a job that wasn't on the air on, like, a whim that something would open up. So it was a bit difficult after the first year, but then I learned to love Toronto, and um, 
I found out that there was a new station that was going to launch in Toronto, uh, and that's the station I work for now, Indy 88, and um, you could find out just, like, with the news stories, like, what companies were, were vying for this uh, signal that had just become available, and I was like, oh, this Indy 88, this sounds like something up my alley, and I had started a podcast uh, on the Q107 website, because Blair's so cool. I was like, dude, I want to do, like, a local music, and indie podcast, and I was like, I can tie in classic rock by uh, getting them to do a classic rock cover, but then I also want to promote local music and new music in the city. And at the time, I didn't really feel like The Edge was doing that. And Q107 certainly wasn't doing it because they were the classic rock station. And Blair was like, sure, I'll let you have this po- uh, this podcast or this like blog or whatever on Q107.com. And I was like, great. So I started that up and I, I had kind of sneakily was already starting to apply for a job at Indy 88, even though the station hadn't been approved yet. And uh, so I sent demos before they even got the license, and then they got the license, and I sent more demos, and I got all of the bands that I'd ever met to, like, record messages saying, like, you got to hire Candace at Indie 88, and I'd, like, put it to music and sent that off. And, uh, and, I mean, two years later, after working incredibly hard at it, Indie 88 Morning Show becomes available, and it turns out they hired my former co-host, Brian Bailey, from Red Deer to do the morning show here, and so I was already kind of shortlisted, at least for an interview, and uh, and then from there, you know, we met and we chatted, and Adam Thompson was amazing. He's the program director, was the program director here. He's now back at Sonic in Edmonton, and uh, yeah, and it kind of went from there, so... Yeah, I mean, I moved for a boy, I guess, is the short story, but I wasn't going to give up my career. I just worked my ass off once I got here and knew once I got in the market that I just had to keep doing that, and it paid off. It took a couple years, but it paid off, and now I'm three years in it, Indy 88, and I couldn't be happier. And I can imagine how difficult. Uh, Kim Mitchell's a cool dude, and Q107's a cool station, and that building is amazing to be in, the chorus building out there, but... I just had to push buttons for a morning show here in Regina for a week while they did their show from Mexico. That was for a week, and I still got to do things like I had to do some news. They would bring me in on like maybe a break a day, and I hated it. There might not have been a point in my career that I was less happy than pushing buttons for somebody else because once you get used to doing on air, once you fall in love with what we do, it's so hard to sit quietly and let somebody else do it. Absolutely. It was it was very difficult the first year. I kind of after a year I just had this like moment where I was like I can't keep being miserable about this choice that I've made. Like all I can do is find a way to make it work for me. And that's like when I started that podcast and that's when I started talking to uh, like talking to the people who would be running Indy 88 and, and really started looking at um, other options in Toronto. I think I, I, it, it is very difficult to take a step back. Um, but once I accepted that, that second year, in hindsight, it was also kind of nice to have a break from on air. Um, I, you know, I assume that a lot of your personal life goes on the radio and like everything that happens to you, any, hopefully any good radio DJ talks about what's happening in their life and finds a way to relate that, relate that to the listener. Um, to take a break, to not have like my entire life be public, it was actually kind of nice once I settled into just the producer role. I mean, I did get to be on air. Blair still put me on air. Whenever Kim was on vacation, I would host a show, which was incredible, like hosting an afternoon drive show in Q107 Toronto. It was like the third best radio station in the country. I was like, this is pretty amazing. My first two weeks there, Blair put me on the air. He's like, Kim's off uh, for two weeks when you arrive, so how do you feel about doing the show? And I was like, huh? What? Really? I I haven't even done a solo show in like seven years. And he's like, yeah, like he just had faith in me. And I was like, "Uh, okay, let's do this. I actually remember on Q107, my very first shift, 
um, we're in like a fishbowl in the chorus building. And uh, Kenny Hotz from Kenny versus Spenny, I can see him in the window and he's waving at me. And he, I'm like, oh, he must be here for an interview. And I love him. And like, this is right when I moved to Toronto. So I was still like, wow, I'm in the big city. And wow, this is where Kenny versus Spenny was filmed. And then Kenny is right there in the window. So I'm like, oh, I've got a song sleep. I'm just going to run out and introduce myself. <laughs> So I run out there and I'm like, hey, Kenny. I'm like, my name's Candace. I'm just doing afternoon drive on Q107. Big fan of Kenny versus Spenny, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm here for an interview on the edge. You want me to come talk on your show, too? I was like, yes. It was my first shift on Q107. Like, I don't even know that the Q107 listeners knew what Kenny versus Spenny was because it's like way classic rock. And I'm like, yes. And he came in and I did the interview live and it was nine minutes long. And while it was a fantastic interview, a very entertaining for anyone who was a Kenny versus Spenny fan, it might not have been so entertaining for the fans of the Kim Mitchell show who I was filling in for. <laughs> so I did get a little, uh, while Blair was like, I appreciate the, the initiative. He's like, but I would have uh, pre-recorded that interview and then just edited it down to maybe like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I went on air for nine minutes with Kenny Haas, my very first day on Q107 Toronto. I can honestly say I don't think I would have had the restraint to stop at nine minutes. If I could get, oh, I, I would do an hour with Kenny I right now. On. I really could have. Like, uh, uh, It was a good interview. Like, I I remember listening to it. I was like, that was, even though I got in trouble and I knew that I might, I was like, that was totally worth it. That was a great <laughs> interview. I was so, so happy with the interview. And um, yeah, so I mean, I wasn't completely out of the game. I was still filling it on air and I did some fill in on the edge and um, was, a, you know, obviously was on the edge's radar should anything happen. Um, but then Indie 88 happened first and I'm happy it did because um, I prefer the music, I guess, on Indie 88. And I, I love launching new radio stations. I, I kind of like the small, the little engine that could. It's a lot of fun to work with a group of people that are so excited to make something happen. And, you know, with Indy 88, I, I was looking for kind of that same enthusiasm that I got and that I had for X989 when we launched that brand new station. And, and I got it to be the first new station in Toronto in 30 years and to be received so well. Like, holy crap, we had no idea... Um, the reception that we were going to get. Like, I remember thinking that for, like, the first year or two, I'm like, nobody's even going to know what the station is. Like, nobody's going to have a clue. And uh, to win Radio Station of the Year at CMW, and it's it, it's been a wild ride. Like, I don't think anybody expected uh, the station to do that well or this well and to get this much attention as quickly as it did. But certainly not complaining. It's been magical over here. The first time you get on with the Indy 88 Morning Show, and again, you, you said you've done some stuff with the edge and with Q, but not full time. You're sitting there in the chair. You're about to do the first break of the station and you know that this is a full time job. Did it just feel like, like coming home? Absolutely. And I remember thinking when I accepted the job at Indy 88, I was like, Christian's going to be proud of me again. <laughs> <laughs> I know like him and Roger and Fraser, they were all like, I, I don't know. I feel like Fraser understood a little bit more like why, like he, he, he could see the connection that uh, my husband and I had, and, and I think so he kind of understood a bit more of it. Roger and Fraser, and there were a lot of people that were just shaking their heads like, why did she move to Toronto for this guy? Like, what was she thinking? And I remember when I accepted the job at Indy 88, I was like, oh, my God, Christian's going to be so proud of me again. <laughs> and, uh, and he was, as far as I know. So that's and, and he has every reason to be. As you said, the show has done well. The, there have been awards won. The station is doing well. It, it is sort of almost that it's like someone took a medium market station and threw it right into the middle of Toronto and, and just watched it punch its way up to the top. 
Yeah, you know, a lot of that has to do with uh, our previous program director, Adam Thompson. Uh, Adam, I mean, I've been really lucky in my career. I've worked with some incredible program directors. Like, I feel like there's some people in their career that maybe get one of these experiences. And I've had, like, three now with uh, Blair Bartram at Q107 Calgary, or Q107 Toronto, rather, and Christian Hall at X92.9, and then Adam Thompson for only the first year of Indy 88 while he was here. Um, You know, Adam was really enthusiastic, and like the rest of us, this was his first PD job, and he was really like all about just like, we're the little engine that could, we're the station that can, like, if everybody just works really, really hard, we're going to do this. And it's really fun to be on a small station that doesn't have any money, because you have to come up with creative and original ways to get attention without spending a lot of money. And in Toronto, the big stations have a lot of money to spend. It's not hard for them to get people to listen because they're giving away $10,000 on the morning show. I don't think we'll ever give away $10,000 on the morning show. So um, Adam was really like the pioneer that had this vision for the station and had, um, you know, creative ideas and had the like chutzpah to get everybody else really excited uh, to come up with some outside the box ideas to get us attention in the city. And it absolutely worked. And like, with Adam Thompson, I learned more from Adam Thompson in one year than I think I learned like in my entire radio career. Like he changed the way my outlook on radio forever. Thinking big ideas, thinking outside the box. Um, always, I, I can't even put my finger on it. What was so magical about him? But uh, if anybody gets a chance to work for Adam Thompson at Sonic 102.9 in uh, or Sonic, it is 102.9 in Edmonton, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody gets a chance to work with Adam at Sonic, it's uh, it's going to be a magical experience. And I can say the same about Blair Bartram at Q107 and Christian Hall. Like, the three of them, every single one of them changed my lives for what part of my life I was in at that time and what part of my career I was in. And each one of them took me a step further. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And, you know, I'm 35 now, but I, there's still so much more I can learn. That's another advice I have for students is never think you know everything because you never do. Radio is constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. Uh, your content is always changing. Your listeners are always changing. Um, the way the world works is always changing, and you're never going to know it all. And if you act like you do know it all, you're going to come off as somebody who has a huge ego and somebody who's difficult to work with and stubborn, and you're eventually just going to lose your job because you're not willing to change. And you really just have to don't It's hard not to have a bit of an ego. Of course, we're all a bit narcissistic because we're all radio DJs, but at the same time, you still have to try to keep that in check because it's very important. If you want to connect to the listener, you can't act like you're better than the listener. And I think that's something that Indy 88 did really well. Uh, The station and all of the DJs, none of us acted like we were better than our listeners. We were our listeners, or we are our listeners, and I think that's what resonated so well with, um, with the Indy 88 fans. Well, cool. Now I don't have to ask you about what your advice would be for people getting in. I guess that's about it. My advice, you know, it's what I learned from Don Scott on day one. You're going to have to move. And you're not going to make a lot of money. Those are the two big ones. Tie it around full circle. Mm-hmm. So what's left? What's next for you? What's the next wild adventure? Oh, next wild adventure. Well, after 15 years in the business and not slowing down really at all, uh, I've decided, or not decided, it's been decided for me, I'm having a baby. Yay. So I'll be taking a year's mat leave. <laughs> for the first time since I'm, I was 14 years old, I will be taking a year off. Um, I realize having a baby is going to be a lot of work. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that next step of my life. And as far as the the career goes right now, Indy 88 is trucking along. Um, as you know, Drew, we're looking for a new morning show host, um, but the show will continue. The station will continue. I'm super excited about the future. Um, I'm kind of like... 
I'm excited to have a baby, obviously, and go on that leave, but I love this industry and this job so much that it's going to be hard to be away for so long. So I was like, I'm available via the phone. You guys can call me anytime. Anytime <laughs> you need me, just call. I'll be at home with the baby. Anything you guys need. Um, so, yeah, for right now, you know, my next five years, I'm hoping, is Indy 88, and then we'll kind of see where it goes from there. It's, it's scary to think about um, getting too old for the radio station you're working for or, like, considering where you're going to be in your life and, and what uh, genre, I guess, that you work with. But uh, for right now, Indy 88 is my focus. It's my goal. Um, I want the station to do even better than it already is, and I want to be on a morning show that gives me the same fuzzy, warm feelings that uh, the morning show did at X929 with Fraser and Roger. And while we're looking for a new host, I'm very hopeful that uh, when I come back from that leave, uh, we're going to get to that magic place at Indy 88 where um, I'm with one of those shows that I just, you have a camaraderie and a care and a love for each other. And uh, it's very exciting when you get five years deep on the same morning show because you get to a point where you know each other so well that it's like, it's magical. I don't know how else to explain it. It just, it clicks and it's beautiful. And I hope anybody that does morning radio gets to a point where they have a show for five years. So I think that's why I still get like, even a little like emotional about the morning show at X929 because it really got to that magical place. And I left before it could get to an even more magical place. But if I wouldn't have left when I did, I don't think I'd be where I am today. And uh, I never would take back any of the choices I made to get here. Uh, even though moving to the Palm Manitoba was scary and spending three years in North Battleford, Saskatchewan was frustrating, uh, eventually it all paid off. As someone who's a year and a half into one of these, these kid situations, I just want to congratulate you. Your show <laughs> prep is done. You yeah. are good. Right? I've got so much. Like, uh, for example, I found out the baby's got fur and uh, they had a tail for him in there. Um... Other really gross things that I'm learning as we go. This is all fun for new parents or people who haven't had kids yet. <laughs> I'm on a rock station right now, and I mean like Regina, dyed in the wool, blue collar rock station. And I post a picture of my daughter on our Facebook page, and all these guys who are talking about going out and buying trucks and drinking and having fun and all this stuff, just, oh, she's so adorable. <laughs> And I'm just like, man, what did I ever do before I had this thing? Yeah, I know. It's, I, I can't even wrap my head around what that's going to feel like. Like, everybody tells me how it's going to feel. But, like, yeah, the idea of loving something more than I love my husband or my job, it seems like how could I possibly love anything more than that? <laughs> so I'm sure that it's going gonna, it's gonna to change everything and it's going to make me a more dynamic broadcaster. Um, and when it comes to advice, being honest and vulnerable on air is huge, too. Like, talking about with the baby coming, like, being open and honest about the experience when it's good or when it's bad. It's okay to talk about the bad times, too. And I think some of my most memorable um, bits or breaks on air have been breaks where I've opened up about something that is maybe a little more serious or, or a little harder to talk about. And, um, and like, the listener really, re like, connects with that because we've all gone through hard times or we all go through difficult times. And... Um, the more honest and vulnerable and the more you you are on the air, the more the listener will connect with you and the better your chances of succeeding. So it sounds, I'm sure you've heard it before, but you really just got to figure out who you are and then just be yourself on the air. It's, it's your best bet. And you've got to share, like you said, you've got to share both sides because you can come on the air and you can talk about all the amazing things that are happening in your life. And we work a pretty cool job. There maybe is more awesome stuff than the average person but if all you do is go on the air and talk about how cool everything in your life is and you never mention any of the lows, 
people listening at home are not relating to you anymore. They think, I hate this guy. Yeah, you don't want people to hate you, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they're sitting at home and they're like, I just wish one bad thing would ever happen to this guy. One bad thing to that guy. Come on. It's As like, if his life is so perfect. It's like when you find out who won the Powerball lottery and you're just like, well, I hope nothing else goes right in your life. <laughs> that's all you get. That's the end of it. <laughs> All right, well, congratulations on the baby and good luck going forward. And it was great to talk to you. The last thing that we always do on the show is you get to pick the spin of the week. And working at a station like Indy, which has such an eclectic playlist, and being sort of deep in the Toronto music scene with your former podcast and that sort of thing, I, I feel like I'm going to have trouble finding the song you pick. <laughs> Um, okay. I don't think it'll be too hard. Uh, ooh, no, wait. Let's do this one. Mike Snow, Genghis Khan. I know there's no phone and no labels to put on to this thing we keep and dip into when we need. No, don't have the right to ask where you go. Just lost the world war And the scene slips away To the evenness I fake It's a shit
for listening to the Off Mic Podcast. Follow the show online at Off Mic Podcast on Twitter or like the show on Facebook. If there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show, email offmicpodcast at gmail.com. The Off Mic Podcast is a part of the Dolby Radio Network.